Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night. My hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. That's right. It's Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow from SteamyMedia.com. We're breaking down New Hampshire. Overton's 301. Denny Hamlin wins his first race of the year. Joe Gibbs Racing. It took him this long. They get their first one of the year. Hamlin held off Kyle Larson for the win. We'll recap that plus start times. 3 p.m. that race started yesterday. And we've seen a lot of 3 p.m. starts on the East Coast recently. Got a lot of discussion at the end of that race by NASCAR drivers on Twitter and today on Twitter as well. Um, we'll discuss that, whether that's good for NASCAR. Mike Helton announced he's stepping, scaling down. He's not retiring, but he's scaling down his uh, commitment to NASCAR. Brett DeWire uh, is now the president of NASCAR. Uh, we'll discuss that move and, and Mike Helton's legacy. Um, what did he do? What will he be remembered for the most? in NASCAR, and of course, the race at Eldor, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series dirt race at Eldor Speedway on Wednesday. We'll preview that. Who's in that race? Who's the favorite to win it? Who could be some surprises? And who's going to struggle? What's Camping World Truck Series regular race struggle the most? We'll break that all down coming up. Eldor, always a fun race there, out there at that racetrack, and I can't wait to see that on Wednesday night. But first, John will break down the Cup Series event from New Hampshire Motor Speedway. This is Denny Hamlin's first win of the year. Joe Gibbs Racing's first win of the year. Um, you know, kind of got a little bit fortunate that a couple of things went his way. You know, Martin Truex Jr. in a flat tire could never really rebound. Matt Kenseth took two tires at the end of that race. I thought that cost him. Kyle Busch speeding on pit road, but sometimes you get lucky. And Hamlin had a really good car at the end of that race and was able to pull the hold off Kyle Larson. And win the Overton's 301. What are your thoughts on that whole, uh, all, on all the events, John, at New Hampshire Motor Speedway? Well, I was um, kind of disappointed in the crowd again. It looks better than it was in September, but I mean, just after they lose a race and everybody's saying, oh, yeah, we got, we got hosed, all that stuff, the crowd wasn't that big compared to what it, I've seen it at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Um, of all the Joe Gibbs drivers, I never thought Denny Ham would be the first one in victory lane this year. I figured Bush had it locked up. I mean, he has been running great. The only person who's led more laps than him this year is Martin Truex Jr. Um, that team has been fine, done well. They just have had – there's always been one or two things against them during the race, and Kyle Bush's uh, right foot on pit road against them this week. Um, Kenseth right after the announcement of Eric Jones taking over the 20 car, he ran great. And I mean, it was Adam Stevens that made the, or uh, I'm sorry, um, his crew chief brain dead on the second, but Kenzie's crew chief, Jason Radcliffe, who, um, whenever they were talking to him this week, he even said, he doesn't know if he's going to be back at the 20 car next year. So they're both with something proved. And he took a gamble trying to get the win. Uh, went two tires. Everybody behind him went four, and he was a sitting duck. But this showed how good a driver he is. Kept the car in fourth place. And then Daniel Suarez finishes sixth. His best finish of his career. So Jones Racing, it, don't count them out. They may have gone this long until they got their first win, but they've been leading laps. There's been a couple struggles here and there. But I think Joe Gibbs Racing has sort of, started to find their mojo again. The one who surprised me the most, and it could have been the most costly race of the year, is Joey Logano. They had a yeah. suspension failure, which put him behind the wall. 
And while they were changing suspension parts, NASCAR confiscated them. And if NASCAR is taking parts during the race, that's usually not good on penalty. No, it, it, it probably means the penalty is there, no doubt about it. Listen, I agree. I think um, Logano, it's been a tough year for him. When you think about back to Richmond and they got suspended, uh, they had a penalty there, the encumbered win. And we've been talking about how that team has not been the same since. I don't know if Team Penske's really been the same since. We've seen Kozlowski, and Kozlowski's been good. But in the beginning of the year, Kozlowski was one of the top teams in this sport. Um, and it just seems like that two-car hasn't really been around. And, and Blaney did very well at Pocono, but he struggled even this weekend at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. He finished up, he ended up 19th, uh, got passed by Dale Jr. on old tires at the end of that race. So even Blaney struggled a little bit. A little bit. But I think it was a Toyota race. They've had something... I believe him and the handle of those race cars and the way those cars came back to um, cars were set up. I think it was great. I think they did a great job there for them. Suarez, no doubt about it, did a good job on a rookie at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, you know, we talk about Kenseth Truex is there every week, no doubt about it. Uh, but Hamlin was up there all day. Kyle Busch led 95 laps and probably had one of the best race cars there. So I think it was a Toyota weekend. This weekend at Lab New Hampshire, we haven't really seen them perform very good on the model hat tracks this year. But uh, when they came to New Hampshire, they had to get a win. Hamlin really uh, is great at New Hampshire. He's one of the best short track drivers on the circuit, comes out and needed to win. Um, a good run for those Toyota camp. They should be holding their heads high as they get into Indianapolis this weekend. Um, what about Larson, John? Here's a kid, Kyle Larson, finishing in the second spot. Um Again, it seems to have a failure, some kind of failure uh, in post-qualifying inspection. Uh, post-qualifying inspection, he had to start from the rear of the field after taking the pole on Friday. Um, they disallowed the time he started 39th. Shotgun on the field, comes all the way up to second. Couldn't get Benny Hamlin at the end, but another impressive drive for that 42 team. Uh, the seventh second-place finish for Kyle Larson this season, John. What were your thoughts on his run? I just keep getting more and more amazed by him. And you listen to him talk about the race afterwards. He said there's no way he would have made it to second place without the VHT or PJ1 or whatever they're calling it this week, uh, the sticky stuff down on the track. He said because he was able to go the hole where nobody else was able to. And it helped him get from the uh, 40th place to um or starting 39th and finishing second. Larson just keeps plugging along, plugging along. And just imagine what would have happened if they didn't have the piece that was deemed illegal from NASCAR after qualifying inspection. He came from 40th to second and wound up, if he takes, if he starts from the pole, he ends up winning like crazy. Easy. Especially in an era where track position means everything. I mean, you hear about teams and drivers and everybody saying track position. You have to keep that track position. Track position, track position is key. It's not key for Kyle Larson. I think I read somewhere that uh, he was second at the end of the first stage. Let me see if that's correct because I thought that was amazing if that's the case, that he was second at the end of the first stage. Um, he was third at the end of stage one, which is crazy to think about because here's a guy who – uh, like you said, starting the rear. And, yeah, he had a couple of cautions. You know, he had that dumb competition caution for some unknown reason. Then uh, you had uh, the wreck from Eric Jones and Cole Witt getting wrecks, or Cole Witt blowing his engine, I should say. That really bumps the field back up three times for Larson in the first 70 laps. But I'll tell you this much, it's still a very impressive run to come through the field like that. It's not a – starting in the back isn't as big as a burden now because of the stages. Uh, and because of the fact that these cars just don't simply wreck anymore, they don't spit out anymore. Um, I think it was the biggest fear about starting in the rear, but still, it's a it's with track position being everything, and the way your car how your car changes the way it handles, and in the re, in the back of the field, still an, a very very good run for Kyle Larson. And, and finishing second, I mean, he's got to be getting frustrated, but it just shows you the kind of speed that team has in there. Uh, Clint Border seventh, Kurt Busch eighth, Brad Keselowski ninth, Jimmy Johnson rounded up the top ten. Kind of an interesting race for Johnson. Never really got his track position back after he jumped the initial start. Uh, something that is a little bit of a quirky rule because uh, it's different than any restart in NAS in in the race. 
the initial start is different than every restart as far as you can't beat the leader to start finish line. Um, but so that kind of puts Jimmy Johnson toward the back of the top thing to never really uh, get his track position position back. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on those guys? You know, Boyer, I thought Bush ran very good trip push, uh, a guy who um, we've seen since Daytona really, really <laughs> struggle. He was in the top five for most of the day, um, ended up in the eighth spot, but not a bad run for Kurt Busch. It can build momentum going into Annapolis for them. And Kurt Busch talked about it after the race. He said, we were sort of in a damned if you, damned if you don't mode. Take a big swing at it to get it to where he could run, where he could contend for the lead. But if they take a big swing at it and they swing the wrong way, they could end up back in 20th place. So Bush being 14th in points, he didn't want to take the chance. So him and Tony Gibson rolled the dice and stayed where they were and ended up in a in the top 10 finish. Hervick uh, came out of it with fifth, a fifth place finish, and he said they learned a lot out of this race that they can apply to the playoffs whenever it comes back in September this year. Uh, again, the biggest problem, like I said, Logano um, was just out to lunch. NASCAR taking that piece. Uh, Blaney's never really been a good flat track guy, but I mean, I think the Fords, at least two across racing, the three big Fords that they have showed that they could run well. Um, I think Keselowski's testing because he's got a, he's got enough wins that there's no way he's not making the playoffs. I think he's testing to make sure he's ready for whenever they come back in September. It could be, and it's funny because you mentioned the Fords, and and really this has been historically um, one of Jack Roush and Roush Fender Racing's worst racetracks. Uh, so Ford as a whole hasn't been very good here. Stuart Haas performed well. Logano, I think it is an interesting. Uh, situation he's in because he's a guy who I think everybody can agree he can win at any racetrack. Uh, he proved, he's proven that in the last couple of years over there at Team Penske. Um, his crew chief Todd Gordon and him just seem to be kind of lo- at a loss right now since that confiscated part. I'm curious to hear, John, your take on this because if I'm a Joey Logano fan and I'm a Team Penske fan, I'm a little worried. Because right now we're not performing at all. It's not like you're struggling a little bit and you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right now it just seems like to be getting worse and they're digging deeper and deeper into a hole here. Um, is it possible you could see maybe a coochie change over there at that 22? I know it's crazy because it's only been half a year really where we've seen this team struggle. I shouldn't even say half a year, really nine races where we've seen this team really struggle. Um, but do you think there might be a change over there? It just seems like right now uh, they just keep digging themselves into a deeper and deeper hole. No, I think uh, Joey Logano and Todd Gordon are pretty safe together. Um, They've been lighting up. They've been doing really well since they were paired at Team Penske. Um, I don't see a crew chief change coming, and that's really not the modus operandi of Roger Penske. Once you start the season, you're pretty much going to ride it out the way it is. I think it might be where Todd Gordon's a little guy of trying to push the gray areas. But he did, it looks like he did it on Sunday, possibly, and could end up paying seriously for it. Joey Logano is the kind of guy who can win on any track. Right now, he's on the outside looking in. He just needs that win because, I mean, he's 54 points behind Kenseth, who would make the chase on points right now. Logano's over a race behind, and he needs a win, or he could be on the outside looking in. But if he gets that win... Logano is one of those cars that you can count on possibly having a chance to make it to Homestead for the championship. They perform well in the chase. Last year, he needed two different, he needed two different times where he had to push his way in to get to the chase to make it to the next round, and he did each time. I mean, Logano is one of those guys that you can't ever count out. You're right about that, and it's just to me, it's just been so shocking. Because I think if you asked most of the people who would make this chase this year, Joe Logano was a pretty much 100%. You say, hey, this guy, you know, this team, this 22 team, Team Penske, they've been great, you know, last few years. And uh, they've been one of the top teams, you know. And a lot of people picked him to win a championship last year. And obviously he didn't. But, listen, it was a it was a great – they've been great. And it's just been a struggle for Logano. They've been – lost here really since Richmond. Um, and I, I just do see how it's affecting Penske because if the last penalty affected this 22 team, this penalty you would think would affect it as well. And maybe they were trying something for the chase. But, you know, like you said, uh, enough with the with the 
testing because they have to get on their game and very fast. Another team I want to talk about here, John, quick, Richard Childress Racing. Another tough weekend for them, to say the least. The highest, last weekend in Kentucky, the highest finishing Richard Childress Racing affiliated car was 16th with Chris Buescher. This weekend, it's Austin Dillon in 15th. And this comes on the heel of some news. Uh, I believe it's Adam Stern, the, Fox, or the, the sports business general, excuse me, who's saying that there's rumors talking that Menard is going to leave and uh, they're going to go towards Steve Penske, and they're not sure what exactly it's going to entail, whether they go to the Wood Brothers in that capacity or whether they sponsor Blaney in the third car or what happens. But team, I think Menards is out at the end of the year. Um, and it just has been a real big struggle. I mean, you look at Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman wasn't anywhere close on Sunday. Finished 27th. Uh, Michael McDowell, 26th. Chris Buescher, 25th. Adrian Hellmaninger, 21st. Ty Dillon, 16th, and Austin Dillon, 15th. I mean, that's not going to get it done. I know Dillon and Newman are in the chase. That's not going to get it done when it comes to chase time. they got to figure it out here, John, because this has not been just the last couple of weeks. RCR has slowly been underperforming week in and week out, and it's really, really noticeable right now. And you look at how Newman and Austin Dillon made the chase. Newman won by staying out on old tires at Phoenix. And Austin Dillon made it by gas mileage in Charlotte at the 600. Neither of them really dominated or led laps to get in. They wound up doing a strategy move to get themselves into the championship playoffs, which is a smart move. But right now, unless something drastic happens, and I don't see it doing it, because Richard Childers Racing has been behind the power curve for a long time. I mean, you look. Kevin Harvick, he he was at Childress. The best he ever did was third in points. And he's done for Stuart Haas Racing with Rodney Childers. And they've been as consistent as anybody in the field since Kevin Harvick stepped foot in front of that in inside that four car. So, I mean, it is an equipment issue. The same Kevin Harvick didn't learn to drive better by going to Stuart Haas Racing. The equipment was better. They went and they had Hendrick chassis and Hendrick engines until this year, and they're doing their own chassis and their own and uh, Roush Yates power this year, and they've struggled a little bit, but Harvick's still contending. He's still a solid um, top five driver on a pretty regular basis. If he's not contending for wins, he's still up there in the top five at the end of that. Richard Childers Racing, Paul Menard's at John. John Menard has spent a lot of money at Richard Childers Racing over the past few years. And Paul Menard performed well with Slugger Labby as his crew chief. And then all of a sudden, Slugger steps away. And then six weeks later, he's on top of Austin, Austin Dillon's pit box. And now Slugger's not even with the company anymore. Paul Menard's on his fourth crew chief, I believe, since he's been at RCR. John, Mar- John Menard doesn't throw good money after bad very often. And I think he's to the point where he's, I mean, Paul's not the greatest driver in the world, but if you put him in really good stuff, he contends. And he doesn't seem like he's in really good stuff. Yeah, it's been a struggle for those guys. No doubt about it. I think even when you look at the points, you know, yeah, like we said, Newman won a race. Uh, there was a time Ryan Newman was top 10 in points this year, and right now he's 16th. Austin Dillon is 20th in points. Uh, you know, Ty Dillon is 24th. Paul Menard, 23rd. I mean, it's just been a lost year for that organization, and they really need to pick it up if they want to contend for a championship, no doubt about it. Final thing for me, John, here from New Hampshire, as far as the race uh, recap goes, was Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, obviously, most popular driver retiring at the end of the year second to last race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Make a little bit of a gutsy call there, Greg Odds, in that 88 car to stay out on older tires to get some track position on that final caution. Uh, got eaten alive on older tires, ended up finishing in the 18th position. It's currently 21st in the standings, John. He's got no chance, I don't think, at making this point, pointing his way in, into the chase, I should say. Um, but what are your thoughts? Do you think he can pull off a win here in the next couple of weeks to get into this chase, or... Is this going to be sort of a farewell tour that doesn't include the chase for Dale Earnhardt Jr.? I think there's three races where Junior has the opportunity still to come. Junior runs very good at Michigan. 
Uh, Junior runs very good at Pocono. And Junior runs very good at the Bristol Night Race. I think those are his three shots. And I think that him and Greg Ives are going to roll the dice every chance possible to try to get that win to get them in. And I think they're probably leaning hard on Chad Knauss and the 48 team for setups and um, all that good stuff to get the 88 going. But they just haven't been there all year. And I think missing half the year last year for junior, because they came back in a different car, different feel, it's probably taken him a good while to get used to being in the car again. And part of it, how much of it has he checked out? How much of it is they're going in with the attitude, let's just have fun this weekend and see how it goes. And well, so far this year, that 88 car has been back there with Casey Kane. It hasn't been where there's one car from Hendrick Motorsports that isn't performing like everybody else. This year it's been two. Yeah, and it makes you wonder what's on the horizon for that team as far as 2018 plans go. Uh, another kind of a, a tough weekend for Casey Kane as well, where he was good in all practice sessions, ended up 29th with some issues. But um, not a very good day there for uh, Junior. And listen, there's no doubt. I, I think a lot of people are kind of killing Greg Ives or Gucci for that car for that move. I kind of liked it. I thought Jason Ratcliffe's move to take two tires there with Matt Kenseth at the end, when Kenseth had the lead instead of giving him four fresh ones, I thought that was a major, major mistake by Jason Ratcliffe. I think he overthought himself there. Um, I thought it Im- immediately when I heard Kenza took two tires, like, why? You're the leader. Like, um, there's no need to take two tires. But I guess maybe they thought there was going to be more people taking two tires and uh, they didn't want to lose the track position, but they got really eaten alive there. And, and like you said, Kenza ended up fourth, but he was on all the tires. But I like to move for Greg Ives. I thought it was gutsy. I thought it was something that, this, that people complain about. He's not aggressive enough. Well, he just showed you how aggressive he was. And it didn't work out, but you have to. Right now, you're not making the, the points don't matter for you. You have to win, and that was the only that was the best opportunity for Junior to win. If you got in clean air there, you never know. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero here talking circles. Clayton Cole, John Harlow from SpeedwayMedia.com. Um, the VHP sticky stuff, whatever you want to call it, John here at New Hampshire. Did do you think it helped the racing? This is usually a one groove racetrack, uh, track that's got you know very little banking in the corners. They put it on the very, very bottom and on the top. Did you think it helped New Hampshire Motor Speedway at all, or what was your, what was your take on it? I think it did, um, because New Hampshire, the only way you were passing before was you either had to tap somebody to get them loose going into the turn, or you had to somehow find a way to make it stick on the outside, and it never does. Um, I think the very bottom, having the sticky stuff there, Kyle Larson swore by it. He said, that's how I made it to the front. And also having to groove up above. I mean, it was nice to see um, being able to go into turn one, two wide and not see somebody go from fifth to 14th by the time they got to turn two because they just couldn't make it stay up there. Um, the one thing that did disappoint me about the track at New Hampshire was uh, the reason they had the competition caution and they had another caution in segment to, in the second stage was because the track's starting to come up. I mean, we had a really hard winter this year, and New Hampshire kind of New Hampshire Motor Speedway took a beating during the uh, winter. So they had they were filling the track, they were doing stuff to fix the track on uh, Saturday night, and that's why they did the competition caution in the first stage, and then a piece of it came up again in the second stage. So they had to do uh, almost a ten minute red flag to get the track ready to go. And if you're Speedway Motorsports the attendance wasn't spectacular again and it costs a hell of a lot of money to repave a track. How much, how long does that set the race? It stays at New Hampshire. How long does it stay there? And if you're a race fan, you can't beat this weekend. You had a dual modified race. You had the K&N pro series East. You had the Xfinity series. You had the cup series, you had three days where the track, I mean, two days where the track was nonstop and then you had the Sunday race. So, I mean, if you're a race fan and there's, there are a bunch of Northeastern race fans up here, they come down from Canada, they come all over the new, Eng- uh, the new England area. They even come up from Pennsylvania. You can't beat the amount of racing you get during this three day series, whenever they're here in, in the summer. 
So, I mean, it's worth it, but the fans, I wonder how much of it is they're saying, hey, you took the fall race away from us. Why the hell should we come back? Yeah, I think a lot of it was rebelling this weekend. I also think a little bit of it was Red Sox-Yankees. I know NASCAR really can't do a whole lot about that, and people want to go see the Red Sox because they're very good this year. Um, but, listen, I don't, you know, I don't mean to, to pull on the racetracks. I do have a – you know, I do not feel sorry for SMI or ISC when it comes to money. Uh, these these racetracks, especially if you're a big corporation of those two, if you're under under those two, you make money. So um, and make a lot of money. We've seen that. You know, they're pouring thirty million dollars in a Richmond's infield this year, next year, and they pour a four hundred million dollar ISC did at least four hundred million dollar renovation into Daytona, and we see the big screens popping up at Texas Motor Speedway and another one at Charlotte and unnecessary stuff that doesn't need to be done. So uh, these racetracks are making money. There's no doubt about it. So I don't, you know, from that standpoint, uh, let's not play poor, poor, pitiful Bruton Smith here. Uh, I'm sorry. With this TV contract, they're making plenty of money, especially on the Cup side of things. Um, speaking of that, actually, it's a good lead into our next topic. Uh, 3 p.m. start times. A lot of drivers, Dale Earnhardt Jr. included, who's been very outspoken on Twitter lately, I guess because maybe he's retiring and just doesn't really care uh, what people or what NASCAR thinks of his uh, opinions. Um but a 3 p.m. start time, again, at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, do you think that may be affecting the attendance a little bit, John? I mean, we're used on the East Coast here to a 1 o'clock show, uh, getting home by 4, you know, having maybe um, getting race done by 4, I should say, getting home by 6 o'clock, maybe having dinner at the house, and not being totally exhausted for the next morning where you have to work. Now that these races start at 3 o'clock, you're not going to get home till you know, the race is not going to get over until 6.30, 7 o'clock. You're not going to get home till 9, 10 o'clock at night. Um Goodness gracious, uh, what do you think about this, you know, these 3 o'clock start times? I'm not a big fan of them, and um, you're right about the Red Sox-Yankees. Last year at this time, I was at New Hampshire for the race. This year, I was sitting at Fenway Park watching Red Sox-Yankees instead of going to the race. Um, I think the 3 o'clock start time, and NASCAR's reason for doing it was – we have California out there and they don't like the 10 o'clock in the morning start and all that stuff. But then you see people on Twitter from California saying, Hey, I hate the three o'clock start. Cause that means it's starting at noon. I can have the race over and still have my afternoon to myself. So mm-hmm. it's a damned, if you do damned, if you don't, it's a matter, I mean, no matter what it's going to be, whatever the TV people want, because the TV oh, contract the, is supporting the sport. That's the ultimate, uh, fact there's no doubt about that and i think you know i heard somebody say this this is a great point and you brought it up and i'm glad you did because to me this is the ultimate thing you need to know about the west coast they're used to races starting at one o'clock on the east coast they're used to that it's their you know they work around it i remember somebody saying listen i like the races starting at 10 o'clock in the morning because i wake up there's a race it gets done by two o'clock i can go out rake my leaves at three four five and still some sunlight and get it done. Now, if these races start at three o'clock, well, I got noon, and you know, it's not as it's not what we're used to. You know, we're not used to that in the West Coast. And somebody said on serious radio, NASCAR radio, a couple of years, bunch of years ago. Now, I heard that, and I was like, man, that's a really, really good point. That's something I've never even thought of. Um, and I think it, it's something that uh, maybe falls on deaf ears, but needs to be looked at because I don't think the ratings are, are better because of three p.m. start times. Uh, but you're right. If TV wants it, it's going to happen. And I think TV was a big driving force in these stages. I think TV was a big driving force um, with the start time. We have a caller here, 917-889-8280. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, me? Hello? Yes. Uh, Chris from Texas. What do you want to talk about tonight, Chris? Um, I thought the race was great on Sunday. I think the P, okay. whatever they call it, it's a different thing every week. <laughs> PHT and then it was like a P, PJ or PJ something. One I don't know. PJ one. Is it the same thing? <laughs> oh, I thought it made the racing a lot better. I mean, you got Larson going from 39th to second in about 60 laps, which I don't think would have happened any other year, any other race. And then about the 3 p.m. Uh, start times, I don't think there is a right answer. There's nothing NASCAR can do about that. People are going to bitch no matter what they say. Same thing race fans complain about whether you do something or not. 
It's like, remember Listen, when they I, just... Hey, right, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it, to me, it's just... It, it matters to the fans at the racetrack. That's why I look at it, too, because I think it, where it matters, and I think you're right as far as the television is probably going to be there no matter what, but right. I do think it plays a big a big factor into the, these people coming to these racetracks. And for example, I'll give an example of this. I live four hours from Dover, and if a race at Dover starts at 3 o'clock, I'm looking at it going, that race is not going to get over until 7, 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. I still have to drive four hours home, and I have to work the next day. Where if that race started at 1 o'clock, I sit there and I go, that race is going to be over at 5 o'clock. I'll get home by 9. I'll be able to get to bed at a decent time. Uh, so to me, it plays a little bit of a factor in that because race fans travel. They always have. Um, so I think at the racetrack and the, the part of the attendance, maybe that's where we saw it in New Hampshire this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And no doubt there was a doubleheader on Sunday for the Red Sox-Yankees. But um, I think that might have played a little bit of a part in their attendance. That's true, and I guess I've been spoiled because I live 45 minutes away from Texas Motor Speedway, so to me it really didn't matter when it started or – right, because I'm not so far away. Right, and but you're that's a, a fair you point. I didn't like, think about that. And you sound like a very uh, big race fan. A guy, a guy who goes to every – how you go to every race at Texas, I, I assume? I go every NASCAR race and any car race, and then I go to my dirt track every so often. Right. So you're a hardcore race fan, as John and I are. You know, it's hard right. when we're hardcore race fans to put ourselves into the casual race fan shoes. That's, for me, the biggest problem is that I can't do that because I look at it and I say, well, how come people come, don't go to races because I love it so much? I, lo- mm-hmm. I want to go. Put ourselves, you know, I don't know how many hardcore race fans there are compared to the casual race fans. I think the casual race fans <laughs> carried us through 2006 to 2000, or 2004, excuse me, like 2008 when we saw that big boom in, in, in race fans and big boom in attendance. Uh, so I don't know how many hardcore race fans are simply out there anymore. Um, I know, you know, John can vouch for this. Dirt racing is very, very popular still, especially certain parts of the country. We see outdoors uh, mm-hmm. we sold out this weekend, I'm sure, on Wednesday night. Uh, it's a, or did it's y'all see the pictures very, of Duro from last Wednesday? Yeah. Stands were packed. 10 o'clock, right. 11 o'clock at night, packed. So racing, for to me, John, racing is still loved by a lot of people. It's just why are we not getting the same? And it could be technology might have something to do with that, but why are we not getting the same uh, you know, response as far as NASCAR? It would be great to see those fans well, packed again. I think it's NASCAR's problem right now because if you look at IndyCar's viewership, I read somewhere that the ratings are going up for IndyCar actually this year while NASCAR's are going down. Well, I think one of the things you're running into when it comes to NASCAR is, like Clayton said, you're dealing with the casual fan compared to the hardcore fan. Mm -hmm. And living here in Boston, one of the biggest problems we always complain about are the pink hats when it comes to the Red Sox, that the Red Sox are sucking up to the casual fans and basically poo-pooing the hardcore fans out of the way. Mm -hmm. I'm the guy who, like you, I used to go to Williams Grove on Friday night. I used to go to Port Royal on Saturday night, and I'd be set there ready for the cup race on Sunday. So I would do a full weekend of where I'm eating dirt Friday and Saturday, and I can't wait for um, the guys on Sunday to put the 500 miles in. I think Mm -hmm. IndyCar is doing it a little better when it comes to their races are two and a half to three hours. Right. And they are timed races, and in reality, a lot of times the IndyCar series is buying the time on NBC Sports, NBCSN, and mm-hmm. they have a three-hour window to get their race in. Right. A lot of people, when it comes, especially the casual fan, after the popularity of Dale Earnhardt Jr. went away, I mean, he's still popular, but it's like the casual fan isn't going to stop every time the junior's on. So NASCAR can run a four, five, six-hour race. I mean, I'll be honest with you. To show you how crazy it is, I'm a diehard baseball fan, too. I was at that Saturday Red Sox-Yankees game that started at 4 o'clock and went 16 innings. And it was 1-1 for 15 of those 16 innings. And it started off with 37,000 people there. By the time the final pitch was thrown, there was maybe 10,000 in the crowd because it was just too long for people to give a crap about. And I think that's part of why the stage racing's in there. 
they're running 100, 150 miles at a time, then they're going to throw the caution and give somebody a stage win. I think the length of the races, as much as I love the fact that it's an endurance race and 500 miles is something special, you look at Pocono, the crowds went up when it dropped to 400 miles. The ratings went up when it dropped to 400 miles. So I think NASCAR is running into that, do we hit the attention span window? Do we hit the TV window? Or do we continue with the hardcore, I want to see him go 500 miles. I don't want to see this uh, lucky dog. I don't want to see this. uh, I don't want to see a competition caution. I don't want to Mm -hmm. see the um, overtime line on the backstretch. I want to see the car race 500 miles. See, I think part of that is just people, it seems like people don't have an attention span now, which is the problem NASCAR's having, where people just can't, won't sit down for four hours and watch a sporting event. And I think it's a problem across all sports in that regard. No doubt. And I think also, and, and not to keep pulling on this, but um, I think that price, pricing at these racetracks have, got, have turned a lot of people away as well. And I know you could say, mm-hmm. well, you know, how how cheap do you want them? Uh, you could say, well, you could get a ticket at Pocono for $15. You could, but it's not a very good seat. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I remember when I was a kid growing up, when we used to go to Richmond, I used to go to Pocono all, all the time as well. Um, and they were cheap. You know, you could go out, a father and a son and a couple of kids, and, you know, bring his sons there, and they could have a nice night, nice day for 50 bucks. You know, so... I, I don't know. You know. Everything's so expensive now. And I think race track yeah, is starting to realize that. Yeah, it's that little. Right. And I think you're starting to see these racetracks understand that a little bit more because they say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, we need to get these people there. It's better to have them there. But for a while there, I think the prices was way too high. And especially not – and, again, you go to Texas, you know, uh, SMI tracks, I think, were, were worse than, than ISC tracks. But they're all bad. And, and, you know, for me, it's a little different. I go to the Daytona 500 every year. I'm blessed to do that. Uh, I have the mm-hmm. wherewithal to do that. Um, and the pricing for Daytona is crazy. But you would expect that because it's Daytona. And everywhere else is should be it should be reasonable. And I think that's something that we need to look at as well is maybe bring these prices down even more. I know racetracks, and I commend them for doing this, uh, you know, 12 and under, kids 12 and under three. And that's where they really got to go because bring the bring – the, father who can bring a couple of kids who are going to be lifelong fans that to me is where we got to hit uh those lifelong fans again, i think they'll really get them early and i, I mean I was, hey, I was a race fan at four years old get them early i agree with you well, uh, the one thing at new hampshire else? at new hampshire this weekend um they had seats and they were decent seats uh 40 ticket for an adult and you could buy the kid ticket right beside you for 10 bucks if they were under 18 the most expensive seat at New Hampshire Motor Speedway is 100 bucks, And if you're a diehard race fan, 100 bucks is something you're willing to pay. And, I mean, that's right under the press box where you're sitting up there top and you can see everything. The worst seat in the house is 25 bucks, And that's when you're right on the track. So, I mean, it, it isn't pricing at New Hampshire. Parking's free up there. So, I mean, it wasn't even like you're paying 50 bucks to park. And then, I mean, I, I had a free ticket to Sunday's Red Sox game, paid 50 bucks to park, 25 bucks for two burgers and a two waters for me and the wife. It just, it's not that it's they're not that they're pricing it out of it with New Hampshire. It's one of those things where the convention and visitors bureau of Concord, New Hampshire doesn't exist. And Vegas is Convention and Visitors Bureau said, okay, Bruton, give us a second race and we'll pay you 15 million bucks for a five year deal. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? That's true. All right. Um, anything else you want to add there, bud? Um, no, first time listening, and so far it's been good. We appreciate yeah, it. We'll be, back. We pre- right. yeah, we'll be back here Thursday night after Eldora. You want to talk more? Uh, th- Thursday, we'll. we'll- my breakdown outdoor will preview Indianapolis as well. So uh thanks for thanks for joining the show and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. So interesting call there. Uh no doubt I think the VHP it's interesting because I think it's something that you look at and you say, um it doesn't help the racing. I think it did. I think it definitely did earlier. I don't know if it was as good later as it was earlier. I think it wore off a little bit. But to me we still gotta get these race cars a little bit better, uh, to where we can keep the racing 
where it needs to be. Um, 917-889-8280 here to join us show on Talking Circles. Uh, interesting Xfinity Series race, John, on Saturday at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Um, you know, I say interesting by the fact that Kyle Busch took the pole, Kyle Busch took the win, but really I think a lot of where a lot of the uh, attention went to, and and I'm happy about this because uh, – this is to me what this series should be all about in the Xfinity series is getting people who are good, talented drivers, some recognition. And I don't know, John, if this 10 limit rule would have had Ryan Priest in a Joe Gibbs racing car. If we didn't have this rule, we say you can only run 10 races. If you're a cup veteran, um, I don't know if Ryan Priest is in a Joe Gibbs car, if that rule doesn't exist, but he's in a Joe Gibbs racing car he goes out there and he finishes runner-up and really impresses a lot of people by doing it. This is a kid who's done very, very well in Modified. Ran for John, John, Johnny Davis the couple, last couple of years in Xfinity. Uh, ran for Tony Baldwin a couple of races in the Cup Series. I think a lot of people know he's good, know he's got a lot of talent. He's just got to get us some, some seat time in these stock, bigger, heavier stock cars with some fenders on them, and he can do a lot of good things. No doubt New Hampshire is his hometown racetrack. He knows this racetrack that he's very familiar with, and it's his hometown racetrack. Um, but a solid run, and to me, that, John, this is what this Xfinity Series is all about. I would love to see more opportunities for guys like Ryan Priest because he went out there and did a very, very good job on Saturday. Yeah, Ryan Priest had a great weekend in the double-modified race. He finished first and second, then he took second in the Xfinity Series race. And like he said, uh, he wouldn't go back and trade the past couple of years where he ran for Johnny Davis for anything. Um, he was in underfunded equipment. He was logging laps, learning what it's like to be in the heavier fendered cars. And he came back this year and he's like, okay, I want to concentrate on my modified where I have a chance to do something and came back. And Joe Gibbs took notice when he was at Johnny Davis and saw what he was doing at the modifieds this year. And they had a seat to fill because you can only put, Kenseth in so many times, Hamlin in so many times. And Ryan Priest had a shot, and you take Kyle Bush out of the field, Ryan Priest wins that race pretty easily. Bush was head and shoulders above everybody like he always was. The thing that I I really appreciate the fact that Gibbs did that. And there are people who are gonna say, well, he was in Gibbs car and Gibbs equipment with a Gibbs cup crew uh cup crew and all that stuff. Doesn't take any way to still drive the car. And Ryan Priest shows if you put him in good equipment, you can you can contend for the win. The one thing yeah, I took out of that. the the one thing I took out of the Xfinity race was Kyle Busch after the race, and people were wondering if it was tongue in cheek mm-hmm. or reality. But he said, "I got 89 wins. If I hit 100, I'm done with Xfinity." So let's just give him the next 11. Say thanks, Kyle. We appreciate your service, <laughs> and let's get the people like Ryan Priest in these cars on a regular basis. I also heard, John, a rumor, and you know I got uh, – I, I sometimes hear some things. Um, but I did hear that they might be cop- chopping that from that limit from 10 races down to five in 2018. Um, so that we'll see st- we'll still see Kyle Busch a little bit more in the Xfinity Series, a couple more years, probably three or four more years, but only five races a piece a year instead of 10. I did hear that something, and I think that's cool. I mean, I, listen, this is to me what this series is all about. I want to see these drivers get opportunities. I want to see these guys who we don't know who really who they are or a local legend. I mean, Ryan Priest, here's an example, okay? I remember going to New Hampshire a couple of years ago, and Priest was running, I think it was a cup race for Tommy Baldwin, and I was in a hotel, and I saw a couple of young young girls and a mother and their mother, they all had Ryan Priest shirts on. Now, obviously, they probably knew him or they're very good friends with him or they watch him every week on a weekly basis at the local short track and know who he is because he's from up there. And to me, that was great because I sat there and I said, that is what we need to see. We need to see some guy, you know, people where this sport used to be where you could um, bring, if you were a local driver and really were successful on the local tracks, you know, you could buy a cup uh, Xfinity car or a cup car and say, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot and see what to do. And it would at least draw some interest. How's this superstar at, at our local racetrack going to do against the big-time stock car racers in NASCAR. And Ryan Priest proved that that still happens on, on occasion. 
Um, and I would love to see it happen more where, you know what, let's get some of these drivers in there. Even Ben Kennedy, you know, and I know, and I know Ben is, has deeper pockets than a lot of kids. Um, his mother is Lisa France Kennedy. His uncle is Brian France. So he didn't have any issues growing up. But he finished sixth, which is a very good run for him, and a guy who doesn't, hasn't made a big name yet as far as being a driver is concerned. So to me, John, I th- think that is what this series is all about, and I would love to see it more. Yeah, Ryan Priest reminded me of the days when I was a kid. I used to go to Port Royal Speedway in Pennsylvania every Saturday night and watch the sprints run dirt and watch the late models run dirt. And the two toughest guys to beat on the late model series at Port Royal Speedway were Ed and Jimmy Spencer. I used to watch Jimmy Spencer on dirt every Saturday night and curse the living hell out of him. But Mr. Excitement did what he could on the dirt at Port Royal and got himself a modified ride, and he did great in the modifieds and wound himself wound, him, wound up getting to the cup level and having a decent career in the cup level. Ryan, Ryan Priest could be that guy. He just needs the equipment. And the problem is anymore, there's only, in the Xfinity series, probably 10 teams that have any shot in hell at winning. And half of the time, those 10 teams – are sitting half of those 10 teams are sitting there with cup drivers because you got Bush, you've got uh, Logano, Blaney, or Keslowski in the two. You've got Andrew Suarez and Eric Jones running for Gibbs. They're both cup drivers now. Um, and you've got Dale Jr.'s team, which are washed up cup drivers and who are basically 4A drivers. They're really good in Xfinity. They're not so great in the cup, so they could be in the in-between series. But that's your teams that have a shot at winning. The teams like the Ryan Siegs, the um, Jeremy Clements, the Johnny Davis racing teams, I'd love to see them be able to compete with the cup teams at the Xfinity Series level and build up the drivers who have a chance to be the next batch of Jimmy Spencers in this group. I'd love to see that, but it's to the point now where it's dollar, dollar, dollar. Who can get me the most money? If you don't come with a sponsorship, you don't get the steering wheel. And that's the biggest problem, I think. When you think about uh, Jimmy Spencer, you know, he came from a small town in Pennsylvania, Berwick, Pennsylvania. You know that. And that's what made it so great. And I think it's what makes sports great as as a whole. If you work hard enough, you have a lot lot of talent, you can make it. Um, And I think NASCAR needs – and I think they're trying to. They're going to do, I think, a – uh, so, a body where, and I can't think of the name of it, but a body where it's a common template body in the Xfinity series. I think it's coming up probably later in the year, and, and they're going to go full-time with it next year. Um, so that might help reduce costs a little bit. I think that would be good, you know, because you want people to live a dream where if, hey, to me, it's a bad thing when you look at stock car racing and some kid says, goes to, let's say, this week in Indianapolis and goes, wow, dad, I want to do that. And his dad says, well, you can't because you don't have the money to do it. To me, that's a bad thing. Um, because it's a baseball kid. He goes to a baseball game at five years old and his dad, and he says to his dad, hey, dad, I want to do this when I grow up. That goes, okay, you have to work. All you got to do is work hard, have the talent, and have the drive to do it, and maybe absolutely some luck. But you could get there. Um, money really isn't an issue because baseball doesn't cost that much money compared to racing. Um, so, and that's all across the board. NASCAR can't help that either, especially in the lower divisions. Um, so I would definitely like to see it get back, back to that. And, you know, again, it was kind of a sort of a throwback there for Ryan Priest at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, and it was nice to see. Uh, the Overton's 200. Bush won. Priest was second. Ron, William Byron, another nice run for him in third. And you had Larson, Brad Kowalski, Ben Kennedy. That was your top, that was your lead lap. And then Elliot Sadler, Ty Dillon, Cole Custer, and Brennan Poole rounded out the top ten on Saturday in the Xfinity Series race. Um, last ten minutes of the show here, John, we got a couple more things I want to touch on real quick. Mike Kelton scaling back his schedule. Brett DeWar, the new president of NASCAR. Uh, what were your thoughts on that, and um, what do you think Mike Kelton's going to be remembered for most uh, as the president of NASCAR? He's, he's no longer the president. He's taking a senior role, but he's definitely scaling back his role uh, as he gets a little bit older in life here. But what were your take on, on that whole news there on the, over the weekend? Um, I think Mike Helton's been getting phased out for a while because it used to be when you walk through pit road, Mike Helton was a dominant presence on pit road and in the garage area. 
And for the past couple of years, it's been Steve O'Donnell and some of the other guys. So Brent Duar is the new president. Doesn't surprise me. Mike Helton's uh, the biggest thing that Mike Helton will be remembered for. And it, it's sad that this is it is he's the one who stood in front of the cameras and said, we lost Dale senior. That is going to be what everybody remembers him for. I'll remember him for being the guy who may be the president of NASCAR, but would talk to the sports editor of the smallest paper in Pennsylvania and give you 15 minutes for an article. He was the guy who you saw go up to the uh, De Benedettos and the uh, Joey Gases and put his arm around him and say, hey, you're, you're doing the right thing. Keep working. It's going to get there for you. I mean, Mike Helton did well for the sport. Yeah, he's a good guy. And I think, uh, you know, we'll see what the war does. I mean, I can't judge him over two days, you know, so we'll see what he does in the future here. No doubt about it. But, you know, Mike's a guy who, when you think of Mike Helton, you think of NASCAR, no doubt about it. He uh, helps spearhead a lot of things. I think uh, one of, you know, the COT was an interesting concept. I think the COT might have worked if they gradually brought it in like they did, like they were originally going to do. Uh, but when they threw it into the fire full-time in 2008, I think it kind of hurt the COT's prospect there. Um, and then eventually the, you know, uh, manufacturers got a little bit hesitant because of spending money because they said, well, really, where's the brand identity? And they pulled out, and I think that's what ultimately made them change to the Gen 6 car, which is what we have today. Uh, Eldora Derby, John, 155th uh, annual Eldora Derby. It's hard to believe it's been five. This is the fifth-year NASCAR Camping World Truck Series on the dirt at Eldora Speedway. Um, you know, it was an interesting concept when it was created. I think a lot of people were kind of there, and they say, can it really work on dirt? Races have been very good. I think the heat races are cool. Oh, cool aspect. I like it as a one weekend event. I'm not sure I would like it more than that. Um, how excited are you? I know you're a dirt guy through and through. How excited are you for this weekend? Uh, I love this is my I don't miss it. If I have something going on Wednesday night, I promise you the DVR will be there and I'll have it two hours before and two hours after to make sure I don't miss anything. Um, I think it's the best race of the year across all three series. Um it's the one where everybody has a chance, even though there are some dirt ringers who've been in there. I mean, Scott Bloomquist is one of the greatest late model drivers in the history of dirt late models. And he laid a complete egg driving Kyle Busch's truck. So he had the best equipment you could get your hands on and laid an egg. And then you get people like Matt Crafton, who's a complete um, legend in the truck series and he figured, I need to get better at this. So he actually bought himself a dirt late model. has been competing in the Midwest whenever they have off weekends. Look how Christopher Bell got ready. You know what he did this weekend? He ran the King's Royal for Tony Stewart in a sprint car at Eldora. Started 20th, worked his way up to second behind Donnie Schatz. He won the night before. So Christopher Bell's been running in dirt sprint cars, getting himself ready for knowing what the feel of the dirt is. And that's one of the differences. I mean, Tony Stewart goes out there and he personally watches the way they prepare the track for this weekend's or for Wednesday night's race. And it may be a different track between heat and feature races. And the one thing it's different and people say about the VHT, well, we're doing this to make the, you have to manufacture racing to get it better. Every time a dirt track goes out, They water the track between heats, between hot laps, between the last chance race and the feature. So they keep dumping water into thing to try to keep it tacky, to try to make grip, to try to give them something to run into. Because if you run off all the clay and all it is is a slick piece of glass, nobody's going anywhere. So they have to keep working on the track to make it better and make it efficient throughout the entire race. I wish they would look at it at the cup level and realize this is some of the things that they might have to do. They might have to, during the, one of the stage breaks, go out and lay another level, put out another layer of VHT on the track because it wears off by the end of the race. It's something they might look at to make the racing better because there isn't a better race than the Eldora race for the trucks. I'd like to see them do it in the Infinity Series. 
what I like about this race, favorite things about the race, and I, listen, I'm a short track guy. I think we're a little different in a way where I like short track racing more than dirt racing. I think short track racing is fantastic. Um, but what I like, what I like about this race is it's sort of a throwback because you got these drivers who are in there who you don't really see every week. I mean, you know, Bobby Pierce has made a name for himself the last couple of years here at this facility because he's run so well in the dirt races. Um, J.R. Heffernner, who does a great job in, at the outdoor dirt race every year. You know, you talk about Christopher Bell. I mean, we all remember Norm Benning's uh, great run to get into the race a couple of years ago. You have guys like Kenny Schrader down this week, who's a veteran who's run on runs everywhere he can go, running on dirt. Uh, to me, you just get so many different names. Stuart Friesian, who is a truck series regular, who's going full, to running full time this year, is going to try and go out and run on dirt this this weekend, and or on on, Sunday, on Wednesday, excuse me, I keep saying this weekend on Wednesday, and we're going to see how he does. You got a young kid like Chase Briscoe, who's runs, you know in the Camperino Truck Series on a weekly basis, I don't know how much dirt racing he's done. So to me, it's a little bit of a art form, but these drivers have to learn it. And, you know, especially these guys running for points in this series, this is an essential race, especially if you want to, if you're right on a cusp to make this chase. So that's what I like about this, John. And of all the drivers who are kind of making this one-off appearance, I mentioned uh, 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 Kenny Schrader, Bobby Pierce, J.R. Hefner, um, you know, got a bunch of other drivers out there. Who do you think is going to run the best as far as these drivers who are sort of making these one-off? Jeffrey Abbey also in the Nice Motorsports Chevrolet. Um, making one of these one uh, forgot about Rico Abreu in the 89 truck for Thor Sport this week. And the fifth Thor Sport truck, he's down as well. Of all those drivers, John, who do you think is going to have the best shot at running really well and maybe taking the win? I think of all the uh, one-off guys, I say it's Rico. I mean, he spent all weekend running at Eldora, too, and um, he knows the track as well as anybody. Uh, Schrader's always competitive, but I don't think he's in competitive equipment this time. The one I'm surprised is Kyle Larson hasn't found his way into a truck yet. Yeah. Ty Dillon might be one that could surprise you because Ty Dillon's running the truck race, and he grew up on dirt and short track late models. So Ty Dillon could be somebody to watch out for. And the thing where I said, where Eldora, you never know. Bubba Wallace never drove on dirt before they went to Eldora. And he wound up edging Kyle Larson, well, battling Kyle Larson until Kyle Larson kept bouncing off the wall and wound up finally breaking the truck. But Bubba Wallace got a win at Eldora, driving a truck for Kyle Busch Motorsports. So it can be anybody. If you've never been on dirt before, or if you've a dirt ringer having the feel of your truck on dirt gives you something that nobody else can understand. Because once you understand the feel of your truck on dirt, where it's a surface that isn't stable from lap to lap, you're able to translate that into your truck. Whenever you're running at Martinsville, when you're running at a short track somewhere, it's going to help you with car control going throughout. I mean, you look when Tony Stewart was running the Cup Series, when he would run at uh, a dirt track, he came back to the Cup Series and felt he had better car control. Same thing with Larson. And you look at how he's been running this year in the sprints. He comes back off of dirt, and he's lighting up the place in the Cup Series. So I think, I mean, this is, like I said, this is my favorite race of the year, and I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It, again, it's, I like it it's just, Something so unique, something so crazy, and something that's, uh, you know, you get to see the talent, most talented drivers, the Dirt Series, some of the most talented drivers in, a, in Dirt out there competing against Camping World Truck Series regulars in the Dirt. Um, and now that we've been here for five years, these regulars are, are used to this race now. The first couple of years are kind of like, whoa. But now that this is sort of a five-year and hopefully a long, long-term deal here, um, I think it's going to be because of the, of the, you know, the just how many people love this race. It's going to be a lot of fun here for years to come. I want to thank uh, Chris from Texas for joining the show tonight. Uh, and John Harlow, great job as always. We'll be back here on Thursday. We'll break down our door. We'll preview Indianapolis. Xfinity Series teams will be running the restricted play at Indy this weekend. We'll preview that. Give us, give you our thoughts on that. 
back here on Thursday night on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.